This is not a test. This is not a test. Please remain calm. Unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. Seeking human victims. I just love the the opening strains of the film we're covering tonight. Uh, the song from the score is actually called Chariot of Pumpkins, but uh, they actually just re-released a really badass like remix version of that this year. Anyway, I'm rambling tonight. We are bringing you our 2023 Halloween special here on the Seeking Human Victims podcast. Uh, we uh, apologize for the delays in getting some episodes out. Uh, there's been some more delays lately than we would have liked. But, uh, you know, we, we all keep busy schedules and I'm trying to juggle about 15 plates. So sometimes, uh, especially between seasons, there could be a little bit of lag. But uh, the next full season announcement will be coming very soon. And we got a couple more bonus episodes for you to round out the year still to come. But welcome to the show. This is Seeking Human Victims. I am your host, the maniacal minister of the occult, the devil you know, the original motherfucker, and the high priest of the covenant of the goat, the Rev Dan Wilson. And I bring you an episode on Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. And all my little ghosts and goblins are here with me. First off, Dreamboat Annie. I do love a good joke. And this is the best ever. A joke on the children. (laughs) And always glad to have him back on the show. The Jackal of Carlsberg. Big Daddy Grizz. Jason Griswold. I think I should have married you, Agnes. (laughs) And rounding it out. The one, the only, the great, fresh off a California vacation, the great Moody. And he stole my quote. I don't have a backup quote. Sue me. (laughs) Well, you're supposed to prepare for such matters, Moody. That's okay. We, We roll right along. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Um. My history with this movie is probably like a lot of people's. It was the one you kind of avoided as a kid because Michael Myers wasn't in it. But then you finally like give it a real earnest watch a few years later and you realize, uh, oh, I this is this is a really cool movie, actually. Um, honestly, I'll go ahead and say it because it's not going to be any real surprise for the, the final thoughts. This is one of my favorite movies. I watch this movie about three times a year. At least, so um, yeah, I, I I like many 
was initially a, a kind of a hater of this movie just based on the the popular word of mouth and you know wanting to seem cool with my other friends that were horror fans until I I actually sat down and, and took it in. Yeah, I had the very similar um, thing, and it was really, you know, going to rent the Halloween movies after I saw the first one on TV, and I got warned immediately, you know, by my uncle, like, hey, Michael Myers isn't in that one, so I just completely shunned it and never even tried to watch it. And then um, when I started buying the VHSs as, like, a, you know, probably, like, 11 or 12-year-old, the collector part of me was like, fuck, you can't not have three on the shelf. You know, it's like I had one, two, four, five. I was like, ah, I guess you got to get three. And then I watched it and thought it was awesome. I'd actually never seen this one. Uh, you know, like you guys, I saw it in the video stores. And I think the first Halloween sequel I'd seen, I probably saw part five before I saw the original. So I was never like a super big fan of any Halloween sequels. So this one just wasn't on my radar. Um, I wasn't introduced to this movie until, you know, adulthood by Dan. Uh, so I have also seen this movie multiple times a year. Um, so I've seen it a lot. Um, but I never had any negative attachment to it or anything other than the first time that we watched it before we started it. He was like, now this movie's very controversial. Most people hate this movie and say it's the worst one. Let's watch it. So that was, you know. And so I never had any ill will towards this movie. So, but I've seen it a lot. Yeah, I, I've uh, she's seen it a lot, whether we, she she wanted to or not, because I foisted it on her many times. Um, so I'm interested to hear her opinion here at the end, honestly. But all right, well, let's get on in and dig on in to the plot and the details behind Halloween three. But before we do that, before we do that, groovy ghoulies, we of course are gonna kick this Halloween season off right with another musical guest, courtesy of our pals over at Horror, Pain, Gore, Death Productions. Uh, and uh, that's horrorpaingoredeath.com. And they're bringing us another great heavy metal musical guest. And Big Daddy Grizz is going to tell you all about him. Horror, pain, gore, death productions. Welcome D. Grave to the roster with a new album, Volume. Hailing from Missouri, D. Grave formed in 2016 and are an intense four-piece thrash act schooled by metal masters of the past. Volume features ten tracks of turmoil, fueled by cheap beer, good friends, and low morals. Showcasing highly crafted musical skill with originality and not... Accompanied by any pretentious attitude, listen at maximum volume for fans of Anthrax, DRI, Exodus, Hammer Fight, Megadeth, Motorhead, Municipal Waste, Obituary, Overkill, Pantera, Slayer, and Toxic Holocaust. Here is DeGrave with Raised on Hate and Hooch. And it's kicking off this week's episode of Seeking Human Victims. Yeah, the day 
The Coroner's Report. All right. Uh, so John Carpenter did not return in any creative capacity as far as like making the film, but he absolutely was a producer and a consultant on this one. The director was his old pal, his bestie from way back. We've talked a lot about him on this show. He directed the It television miniseries and a whole lot of other stuff. Um, he fucking was like one of the great creative minds beyond the behind the original Halloween and a lot of the technical aspects of the way they shot the movie and things like that. Talking about Tommy Lee Wallace. Um, so certainly no newcomer to the Halloween franchise. He was he was also the art director and production designer on the original film. Um, he, they wanted him to direct Halloween 2 originally. He declined that, but he does finally uh, agree and comes along and directs Halloween 3. After the success of the first two films, uh, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill really thought that, uh, you know, they thought that Michael Myers, that story was kind of done. So they wanted to make this like an anthology, like, you know, Night Gallery or The Twilight Zone or something like that, uh, with each film kind of telling a different story set on Halloween night. So that would be the central theme is that it would all occur on Halloween, but a different story. And so this is their first kind of stab at that. And Wallace was their choice to direct, actually, based on that. Uh, and I, I can understand that. Like, uh, for an example, I ran a promotion years ago. Uh, Muji and, and many wrestling-related things over the years was one of my, like, chief creative collaborators. So when I was tired of booking or felt like I was no longer, like, you know, my ideas kind of run their course and there needed, like, a fresh uh, injection of things, like, I trusted him to do it because I knew, like, the vision of what we would do would be still pretty similar. So that's what they, they did here with, with Tommy Lee Wallace. Um, his original vision of the film was to be about a group of witches who were trying to bring about the end of the world, witch apocalypse. I mean, it's like kind of how it ends up, but like it, it, it certainly evolves a lot from the form of that original idea. Carpenter and Hill were not really on board with that as the baseline, they wanted him to rework the script. Uh, eventually, he came up with the idea of the plot involving the silver shamrock masks that would transform children into insects and kill their parents. So that's that's the setup. It's a, a cult of witches. Yeah, they were like a cult of witches. How about you make it 1000 times weirder? <laughs> it's still a cult of witches, but now it's powered by Stonehenge. And like ancient Celtic magic, and there's also fucking robots. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a bunch of computers and shit and Stonehenge. It'll be dope. And the music reflects the overall weirdness and vibe of this movie, and I think it's why I love it so much. It's just so fucking weird. Um, and and the music just like just sets the the pace. It feels like a Halloween movie. The music is really the one thing that kind of puts it in that Halloween sphere because it's, it's Alan Howarth and John Carpenter composing the score. And it it's has that kind of Michael Myers vibe, but it also has this new, like weirder, even more synthy vibe. Um, it's really badass. One of my favorite soundtracks in all of horror. Uh, they previously worked together on the scores for Halloween two and several other films. Alan Howarth ends up 
redoing the score for Halloween 4 and actually is one of the best versions of the score, in my opinion. Um, Carpenter said he replaced the familiar 5-4 piano melody with an electronic theme and beeping tonalities. Which, like, that's, like, right from the beginning, you have that screen flashing with the pumpkin, like, to kind of let you know that this is a different, different kind of realm we're playing with. Uh, Howarth explained that the musical style of John Carpenter and himself further evolved in this film by working exclusively with synthesizers. You know, it's unusual. Uh, I actually found the soundtrack was kind of grating for me at some points because I usually love John Carpenter's soundtracks, you know, especially the fact that he does them himself. There was something about this in particular. I don't know, just certain points of the film. I just thought it was just a little ice picky. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, I think it definitely, you know, keeps like the sound, the signature kind of John Carpenter sound going, but they, you know, if you take this movie and compared to, you know, Halloween or even like the fog, or the thing, like, there's parts of this movie that are just way weirder, so I thought that the way that they did the score, like, kind of went with, you know, the fact that the movie itself was a lot weirder. And I totally agree, this does, like, you know, it's also, you know, it's Carpenter, and I'm sure we'll talk about him later, it's Dean Cundy. So this, I mean, this looks and feels like, you know, a Halloween movie, or just an early 80s Carpenter movie. Like, you can throw this in with The Fog, and Halloween 1 and 2, even though he didn't direct 2, obviously, as well. And they all have, like, the same, like, vibe. So I think even though, you know, it's not Michael Myers, it feels the most, even almost more than Part 2 does, it feels the most like a Halloween movie. The special effects are a big selling point in this movie. Like, there's a really big build-up for, I mean, there, there's some effects earlier. Like, you get, like, some some robot decapitations and uh, the the girl's dad dies in the the opening scene in a pretty hilarious death. But some of the effects in this movie are just awesome. Uh, created by Tom Berman and his team at Berman Studios, he was a veteran special effects artist. He'd worked on films like The Exorcist, The Omen, and even Star Wars. Uh, they created a number of impressive special effects, including the Silver Shamrock factory explosion, the snake attack, and the transformation of the children into insects. Uh, the effects are still impressive today, a testament to the skill and creativity of this team. <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, the, the the scene where the mask activates on the kid's head and his head turns into like fucking bugs and snakes. Uh, like, it's, it's that shit is awesome. Uh, that is, that's like one of the great like, what the fuck moments in the history of horror. Yeah, that one caught me by surprise. So, yeah. I'll give it that one. Let's talk about the cast. Of course, headed up by the, the sex machine himself, pimping since pimping, Ben, pimp, pimping. Tom Atkins as Dr. Dan Chalice. Uh, you can go back to our episode on The Fog and uh, probably a few other. I think we've done a few movies with Tom Atkins to see his full like career. But, you know, uh, Escape from New York, among other things. Um uh, He's the man. Uh, and fucking... Uh, <laughs> we, Annie and I got to meet Tom Atkins a couple of Halloweens ago. He was still the man, even then. Um, you know, funny, friendly, hilarious, a smartass. Uh, everything you would expect if you... You know, he's getting up there, so you probably won't have a lot of chances to meet him if you do see him around at a con. Try to get out there and, and say hi and get that picture. 
I'll, I'll try to share that one on the uh, the One Good Scare social media this week. In in honor of the great Tom Atkins, who has is to me this is the the all time great Tom Atkins performance, and another testament to how weird and kind of dumb this movie is. Where he's like he's a doctor who treats a victim of all of this, and then you know somehow turns into the detect to a detective because he wants to bang the daughter of the guy who got killed, and he's also an alcoholic. <laughs> Let's not forget. Yeah, yeah the, I feel the, like... scene where, the scene where he's uh, getting off the payphone and then he picks up his six-pack of high life and slides into that chick's cutlass. It's like, God, the 80s were the greatest time ever, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, he 100%, you know, the 80s, totally okay. Now, you know, I think people probably question if you're like, ah, murder victim, and the doctor's like, cool, the daughter, let's go. I don't, I don't think that that's okay. But yeah, it seemed like 100% they were like, it would just be too boring if he was just a detective. So, like, what else can we do? What can we do different? It's like, how about he's the doctor? It's like, but he's still the detective. Like, yeah, that's fine. And also has a kink for furiously sucking titties. <laughs> yes. That's like his opening move. It's just hilarious. <laughs> Ah, uh, this movie fucking rules. <laughs> it's like, that's where you go first? Okay. Waste of no time, I guess. And then uh, we had Stacey Nelkin as Ellie Grimbridge. Uh, best known for this role, though she was also in Critters and The Blob. That would have been the remake, of course. She probably wasn't born when the originals came out. Um. Uh, She's your kind of standard damsel in distress until it takes a weird turn at the end. And, you know, you find out she, too, has been body snatched. Um, And so, like, was she part of the cult and a robot the whole time? Or, like, did they replace her at some point? A lot of questions in this movie. But, but yeah, I I thought she was was pretty great in it for for what she had and then our big bad villain dan o'harely as conal cochran this guy rules uh famous irish character actor mainly like robocop you would know him from he was also in airport and moby dick he's got that big powerful voice and commanding presence he clearly did some sort of theater or shakespearean acting prior to his film career uh, but, you know, such a, an evil dickhead and just such a commanding screen presence. Um, I, I loved. Uh, yeah, he's another great party. Like this guy versus Tom Atkins. Great heel. Great baby face. I'm sold. Yeah, he was a great bad guy. Like he just, you know, had the presence. And like you said, the voice to where immediately when you start talking, you're like, oh, yeah, this guy. I could see this guy wanting to kill all the kids, you know, so. I thought he was awesome. And I love that, like, his only motivation is fuck them kids. Like, he's just, like, at, to his core, all he wants in this life, kill them kids. Yeah, he's like, you know what? Is annoying kids. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go fucking steal Stonehenge, and I'm going to use computers to concoct a magic potion. We're going to kill those motherfuckers. <laughs> That's a weird life goal. Honestly, I feel kind of dumb because, like, if I didn't look him up and know that he actually was Irish, I would have thought, man, that's a fucking terrible Irish accent, dude. But I guess it just came from years of living in Hollywood and it kind of slowly fading. But it's like everybody else, 
you know, they had such an exaggerated accent. So it's like, oh man, this is bad. It's like, no, that guy's actually Irish. But other than that, yeah, he has like just that classic villain, super villain look. So yeah, that was pretty good. Do you think that there needs to be a prequel? You know, um, we just learned that uh, obviously um, Dimension got the, uh, or not Dimension, fucking Miramax, or who was it Dimension or Miramax got the rights to Halloween back? So they said they're making like a fucking universe, a Halloween universe of movies and TV. I mean, can we get a prequel about why this guy's so mad? And is the whole prequel just going to be, he was on a plane, there was a kid crying, and he was like, you know what? I'm going to still Stonehenge, if that's what it takes. <laughs> We're going to get these kids off these planes. <laughs> yeah, as an aside, I, I think it's, it's A24 and Miramax have some sort of partnership um, to get in on these franchises because it's like, I guess, you know, they they found that horror is kind of their most successful shit and a lot of their kind of art house movies ain't really making money. So they kind of see these big horror franchises as a way to uh, to expand their profitability to kind of float the other stuff. And so they seem to be go like just from the rumors, like there's there's stuff trickling out, but it seems like they're about to go all in on both Friday the thirteenth and Halloween, like franchises, spinoffs, TV, movies, you name it. Yeah, everybody likes to play the art house king in Hollywood, like every fucking like studio ever, but eventually they're all like, you know what? I would like to make some money before this is said and done. <laughs> Yep, that's the uh, the the journey of the artist, right? <laughs> I'm about to that point also. Like, all right, this is great. Like, I'm very creatively fulfilled. Like, can you give me some dollars? Right? You think they're like, Ari Aster, do you have any new ideas? And he's like, well, you know, I got an idea about a pilgrim who started the first fire. And they're like, cool. Can you um, figure out how that ties into uh, how Jamie Lloyd lives for Halloween 777? <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, I, I hope they just get real silly with it, to be honest. But anyway, back back to the cast. Um, <laughs> we had Michael Curry as Rafferty. Also best known for this role, but he was also in the Pope of Greenwich Village and The Thing. We did an episode on that back on the John Carpenter Terror Timeline. Uh, Ralph Strait as Buddy Kupfer. This guy is hilarious and, like, such an asshole. So it's, like, you know, you hate to see the horrifying thing happen to the child, but the child was a fucking brat and the dad was a dipshit. So you don't really feel too bad. Uh he, he's in a number of stuff. A lot of TV. He was in The Incredible Hulk with Bill Bixby, The A-Team, L.A. Law, etc. Um, big, big time 80s character actor. You saw him in a lot of stuff. And then you had uh, Jadine, Jadine Barber as Betty Kupfer. The, the less offensive, just more of like an accomplice idiot in that family. Uh, also known for this film as well as The Entity. She's also in The Lost Boys. And then uh, returning. Oh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, the only, you know, I guess her performance was all right for just the annoying ass wife. But like, I got to say, while we're talking about her, that death scene, it's like she just kind of falls over and dies. It's like, that, that's it. I mean, for all the time you spend on like the roaches and the snakes, it's like she just kind of falls over. It's like, that's kind of a disappointment. <laughs> I wanted to see her suffer more. <laughs> Love it. And then rounding out the cast, there was a lot more, but, you know, the notable folks. We had uh, Nancy Kyes, also known as Nancy Loomis, 
also known as Annie Brackett in the first Halloween film and a regular participant in the players of the John Carpenter experience in the 80s. Uh, she was also in Eyes of the Stranger, among other things. Also, Tommy Wallace's, is, uh, I don't know if wife or ex-wife at this point, I don't know, but married to Tommy Wallace at some point. Yeah, and no, I think they, they probably were still somewhat linked but I don't know how long that lasted. I feel like we talked about their marriage on a previous um, episode, possibly. Yeah, it actually might have dissolved during Halloween 2. Yeah, I feel like we talked about how, like, they started one of the movies married and ended it divorced, or, like, immediately afterwards. So I don't know that they were married in this movie, because I... I have a vague memory of like then there being an additional movie that they worked on together, but were not in a relationship together. And I think that's this one. Yeah. Most of the filming took place in the small coastal town of Lolita, California. The Shamrock, the Silver Shamrock Novelties factory was a milk bottling plant called Familiar Foods. Um, All the Special effects with the fire and all of that, they were filmed in post. Uh, it's shot from July 12th to August 20th of 1982. Other filming locations included the Lolita Grocery Store, Humboldt Creamery, Domino's Pizza in Sierra Madre, uh, Santa Clarita, California, Stevenson Ranch, Silmar, and Los Angeles, California. The fictional town of Santa Mira in the film is a reference to the fictional town of the same name in Don Siegler's 1956 film, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which if you know anything about Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you could immediately pick up that this film was a giant homage to that. Um, But if you don't, that, that is like, so many people argue about what this movie is. It's a fucking body snatcher movie. Like that's a, that, after that movie came out in 1956, that became a template for just a style of horror movie. And moving forward, we've seen, we saw a remake of that. We saw invaders from Mars. We've seen so many of these, like uh night of the creeps, like, like uh, the, so even also starring Tom Atkins uh, that are body snatcher movies. And that's, that's really what this is just without sort of the alien element though. Um, with all of the weirdness and technology meets witchcraft, there is kind of an alien element. Well, that's a, uh, that right there was very interesting. That whole, that whole thing. <laughs> and with that uh, series of odd and interesting facts, let's open the door to the auditorium. Strange truths and morbid curiosities will be revealed inside the auditorium. The Silver Shamrock masks and the company itself uh, actually have a bit of basis in real life. They were inspired by the Silver Shamrock Candy Company, which produced a popular line of Halloween candy in the 70s and 80s. The original script to this film was written by Nigel Neal, the creator of the British sci-fi series The Quatermass, uh, Quatermass Experiment, etc., Neil was unhappy with the changes that were made to his script and demanded that his name be removed from the credits. That also happened uh, to uh, Prince of Darkness, I believe. <laughs> or maybe that, that fact got inadvertently pulled from Prince of Darkness. 
but uh, but no, no, it, it definitely feels like a, a Nigel Neal thing as far as the background, so that doesn't surprise me at all. The original title was going to be Halloween 3 Witch Hunt. That was changed to avoid confusion with the 1959 film of the same name. The original ending was planned to be much darker than the one that was used in the final film, which is hilarious because the, the ending is pretty fucking dark. Uh, in the original ending, though, the children who had been transformed to insects were killed by their parents, and the factory was destroyed by a nuclear explosion. It just upped the ante a little bit. Jesus, they fucking nuked that shit? Damn. Would have loved the um, the accidental stopping their children to bits because they're insects ending. <laughs> <laughs> they did produce and sell masks in stores for Silver Shamrock leading up to the film's release, but they were very unpopular and quickly discontinued. That's sad. I feel like maybe, like, that would work today, like, in today's day and age where we have viral marketing and, like, buying things before a film comes out. But, like, I could absolutely see, you know, in the 80s, people coming into, like, buy Halloween costumes, and they're like, what is this shit? Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they've got them now, for sure. <laughs> Lots of them. Yeah, and I can only assume if you have, like, you know, a 1982 Silver Shamrock, you know, mask, that it's probably worth some big bucks now if you grabbed one back in the day. You know, oh, if it's still, sure. it's a latex or whatever, hasn't, you know, died. <laughs> one of the, the more successful elements of this film was actually its novelization written by Dennis Etchison under the pseudonym Jack Martin. It was quite a success, and it was even reissued in 1984. Which I could see, like, the, a novelization, like, maybe explaining all of this weird shit a little better than it's done in the actual movie. <laughs> yeah, I could totally see that. And that's also, man, movie novelizations used to be super popular. And, like, one of the big, like, collectibles for Halloween fans was the novelization of, like, the first one, too. So I'm going to guess this is probably probably another thing that's worth some bucks if you've got it as part three. The film's theme of technology meets consumerism were particularly relevant to the time in which it was made. In the early 80s, there was a growing concern about the negative impact of technology on society, and Halloween 3 tapped into these fears, still quite relevant today, even more so in a lot of ways. If they remade this film now, I'm sure there would be some sort of like Silver Shamrock at Rock app that you know, you'd have to activate on Halloween or something like that. Um, you, you know, it, it very don't give, much. Uh, don't give A24 the free ideas, brah. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Zip it up. And I gotta make a pitch and make a dollar. But, but yeah, still, still very relevant themes even today. Uh, Tommy Lee Wallace, the director, has said he is a fan of the film and has expressed regret that it was not better received upon its release. But, you know, sometimes it just takes time to find that audience so let's see how it did let's look at the numbers numbers of the beast numbers of the beast uh, film was uh, released on October 22nd, 1982. That's nine days for Halloween, nice. Uh, film's budget was $4.6 It grossed 14.4. 4. 
So obviously, I mean, that's making money, but obviously a pretty big letdown from the first two Halloweens. Yeah, it really just wasn't what they were looking for financially on the return there. Um, it was the worst performing in the series at the time. Uh, now, you know, it, over time, certainly opinions have changed. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but despite the initial negative reception, uh, people have kind of warmed up to this one over time. The The critical consensus upon its release was overwhelmingly negative. They panned the plot, the characters, the special effect, lack of Michael Myers, etc. Roger Ebert gave it one star, calling it a low-rent thriller from the first frame and cr- criticized its confusing junk of a plot. But the modern reevaluation now praises the unique premise, its willingness to break away from the formula of the two films, its dark atmospheric tone, and uh, others enjoy the creepy atmosphere and silver shamrock masks. Uh, it's shifted over time, and uh, certainly, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those testaments that opinions on a movie overall can change over time. There are still people that hate it. But over, by and large, there wouldn't be this whole, like, merchandising empire for this movie now if people weren't there supporting it. Yeah, like, I mean, it's it's one of those movies where a lot of people, um, if you just more so, like, casual, like, horror people, definitely still don't like it. But then if you talk to, like, the smart mark horror people, they rank it, you know, either in the top half of the Halloween movies or a lot of people think it's the best sequel or second best sequel. So, it's definitely been reappraised. I almost think so. We'll get to our final thoughts later, but um, almost to like where now, like when people are like, that was underrated, you're like, hey, it's, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Like a lot of people think it's the second best one. So it can't be underrated if, like, you know, a large majority of the horror community thinks it's good. <laughs> No, I think it's a perfect example of, like, over time how something has gone from underrated. I wouldn't say to overrated, but, like, appropriately rated. It gets the respect it did not get initially, I, I think you could say. Like, Exorcist 3 is another one of those that people say, oh, it's like, now you really can't say it's underrated. Because it's been generally accepted that, oh, like, it's actually, like, the second best one. And that's that's pretty much what people think of of this movie. Or at least yeah. a lot of them. This, this is an Exorcist 3 pod, but it's it's overrated now. One day we'll talk about it. It's good. But uh, but there's been a lot of, is it actually the best one talk in the last couple of years? And those people need to go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Uh, if you want to own this on home video, you certainly can. Annie is going to tell you how. So it's, of course, been released multiple times, the first time being on VHS, and that was in March of 1983. Um, Its first DVD release was in 1998 by Good Times Home Video. It was re-released in 2002 um, and 2007 by Universal Pictures. And the 2007 version um, is a double feature with Halloween 2. And then it was released on DVD in and on DVD and Blu-ray in 2012 by Shout Factory, and then again on DVD and Blu-ray by Universal Pictures in 2015. The 2012 Shout Factory DVD or Blu-ray release is considered to be like the definitive version of the film. It's the version that includes um, all the special features and. In- 
includes commentary with Tommy Lee Wallace, a documentary about the film, and a bunch of deleted scenes. Uh, the 2015 version has some special features, but not as many. Um, so if you're wanting like the ultimate version, you're going to probably want to get the 2012 Shout Factory Blu-ray. And then it's, you know, streaming as well. I'm a big fan of the fact that it was originally released by Good Times Home Video. <laughs> Just some random, yes. you know, VHS printing factory, sure, whatever. Who wants this movie? Yeah. It, uh... <laughs> it, oh, it's also streaming on Peacock. That's that's where we watched it. I think it's streaming a couple other places, but definitely on Peacock. We own it on... We got it in one of, like, the Halloween box set blu-ray sets with all of the films up until uh pre the david gordon green film so we got the box set that had everything ending with like the rob zombie movies um and that's this is one that's got me four times four times <laughs> i got the v i had the vhs and then i had a dvd and then i bought the scream factory um blu-ray that was the uh still book because it was awesome looking i love the art and then um, I got it in the 4K set. So, I mean, congrats. You didn't make a lot of money originally, but you fucking have gotten like $80 from Muji. <laughs> yeah, so I guess it's also available in box sets. Well, not I guess. It is, because we own it. Um, but I guess this the my list was just like specifically for this movie releases. But yeah, the ultimate box sets and stuff where they've got all the movies, it's there too. But it's available is what we're saying. Oh, yeah. It ain't hard to find. Hell, they were showing it on the wall when we went to go meet Tom Atkins. <laughs> Dude, you gotta get you get that Scream Factory 4K. You can count the fucking mustache hairs, my friend. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, as we wrap up our visit to the weird world of Season of the Witch, it's time for our final motherfucking thoughts. And uh, I don't think it's any secret. Like, my opinion hasn't changed on this film. It, it remains one of my favorite horror films ever made. Um, it's probably, like, my number one favorite horror film in terms of merchandise I want to buy. Anytime I, you can fucking sucker me. And you can fucking sucker me in any way by just throwing some Halloween 3 Season of the Witch merchandise at me. Because, like, I'm, I'm going to buy it. Um, like, that... That classic Halloween aesthetic of the jack-o'-lantern, the witch, the, uh, the witch, the skeleton are uh, just uh, my some of my favorite things. And uh, yeah, I, I just I fucking love everything about this movie. Um, I'm dying for them to bring a haunted house to Halloween Horror Nights. They did something for it on the West Coast. So, you, you know, you could just bring it over to the East Coast anytime, guys. Uh, it's like the only Halloween property they haven't explored there. So, yeah, um, fucking goddamn, I love this movie. I also like this movie. Um, I wouldn't, I'm not as emphatic as Dan, um, obviously. I don't know that anybody could be. Um, but, yeah, this is, a, this is a fun movie, and I think that the true problem is, is that people are too precious about their, their fandoms and, you know, Michael Myers, and if, if you just... Except the fact that Halloween was intended to be an anthology series and this was their, you know, attempt to try to do that and watch it for what it is. 
um, and don't spend the whole time going, where's Michael Myers, then you can enjoy this movie. Um, I, I just, it's, I think it suffered from um, people like misunderstanding what it was in the beginning. And I'm glad that people went back and watched it without that lens of where's Michael Myers or trying to compare it to the other movies because it is its own thing. Um, I was going to say mismarketed, but it wasn't, I don't think. I mean, I wasn't around to see, but I don't think they like advertised it with Michael Myers creeping around or anything. Um, I think people just were expecting something different. Um, but yeah, I think if you just let go of that and just watch this movie as a standalone film, um, it's, it's a good time. It's absolutely ridiculous in points. Cause like what a hilarious premise, um, as a Kona Cochran said, what a good joke. Um, what a good joke. Uh, but yeah, it's fun. And like Dan said, the, uh, the, the, the visuals that it gives, the uh, iconic Halloween stuff. It's it's a Halloween film in that it's a film for Halloween. And it's good, and you should watch it. Yeah, I agree with most of those sentiments. Uh, I can understand, like, trying to put yourself in the mind, mindset of people at the time. It's like, well, it's Halloween, and we've had two movies of Michael Myers. So with this, I think they were trying to break some new ground. And, you know, it doesn't always work the first time you try it, but... If you just take it as a standalone film, you know, it's a fun, you know, Halloween movie. And it's even got some some zany hijinks, like, you know, when they're trying to avoid the detection from the robots. So they hide behind a rack of Halloween masks as if that's not obvious, uh, you know, Scooby-Doo sight gags there. But, yeah, I think there's some decent performances. I think it stands up to, you know, anything else that was being released at that time, you know, in the early 80s. But, you know, it bears at least one watch and, you know, haters aside, I mean, I'm the kind of guy that thought Black Sabbath was just as good with Dio. So give it a shot. And, you know, it's only 90 minutes. So what else were you going to do? Yeah, so I, too, um, love Halloween 3. I've, you know, liked it for, you know, since I got the VHS, I've been a big fan. It's kind of just grown with me over the years. Um, You know, it's funny because this was, you know, no, didn't direct it. It was really Carpenter's, like one of his first like big attempts at like you know saying something in his movies i mean halloween one and two as much as people like to rewrite history he's really just trying to scare people and this movie you know he did try to like take on some different like societal issues and stuff but in the carpenter weird carpenter way which i really appreciate um and i mean the movie's just got you know everything that i like you've got dean cundy doing the cinematography who's my favorite 80s cinematographer you've got the carpenter music you know, it feels like a Halloween movie. It's got all the vibes of Haddonfield and everything. It's just not Haddonfield. And, you know, you got fucking Tom Atkins giving an awesome performance and a bunch of fucking weird shit. Um, so, yeah, it's a movie that I really love. Um, I would give the pushback on, though, like the rewriting of history of like how this movie would have done, you know, whatever. Like this movie was never going to make a bunch of money. It just never was. It's I love it, but it's fucking weird. Like this is not the type of movie that makes money. It's the type of movie that is destined, you know, to become a cult classic. I mean, if the, if nobody went to watch the thing in the theaters, nobody was ever going to watch this movie. I would actually say that calling it Halloween probably is the reason that it actually made $14 million. And if they would have just called it season of the witch, people would have like immediately liked it and it would immediately become a cult classic, but it probably wouldn't have made any money. And it was silly to try to, you know, 
to do something with the Halloween name, you know, maybe if you did the second one and called it, you know, something different, you could have made it an anthology. Still don't think it would have worked. People love Michael Myers. And anytime one of these movies comes out and everyone says, like, don't you, aren't you tired of Michael Myers that you want to see something different? The money at the box office always tells you that indeed, no, the majority of people just want to see more Michael Myers. So, like, I love it. It's a weird little movie, but it was it was always destined to be a weird little movie. Some great thoughts from the Seeking Human Victims Roundtable. That's going to do it for this special Halloween edition of Seeking Human Victims. We are, are still in the between-season break. We're going to be turning out a few more bonus episodes for you, though. Uh, probably be a couple in between this, but we're definitely going to have a Thanksgiving special coming up, one that we did not get to do. We had to punt last year due to crazy scheduling. My schedule for wrestling is not as crazy this holiday season. It probably won't pick up really insane again until, like, January, I'm hoping. So, um like there, there will be some time to get in some specials, but we are going to, we're going to come back and give you something that's long overdue for you. Uh, the return of our Thanksgiving special pumpkin pie, pumpkin beers and pumpkin head as we cover pumpkin head to blood wings, possibly a couple of episodes in between and then stay tuned to our social media. We're going to be announcing our next full season as far as the content and the start date very soon. Thank you so much for all of your support of seeking human victims, both the regular listeners and especially our loyal patrons over at patreon.com slash OG scare. It's a good time to subscribe now at the $1 tier to go get that full archive of 17 seasons plus a buku of bonus episodes as we get ready and prepare an excellent 18th season for you. So for the cast here of Seeking Human Victims, I am the Rev. Thank you for joining the show and we'll see you next time on Seeking Human Victims. This is not a test. This is not a test. Please remain calm. Unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. Seeking human victims. The Seeking Human Victims podcast is a product of What Good Scare Productions. It is written, edited, researched, and directed by Dan Wilson assistance by Fuji Grant and Annie Wilson. Original music is provided by Shredderford as well as K.T. Grant. All other music and audio clips are property of their respective owners.